and welcome back to the Fit Life Formula Podcast. My name is Brian Sippitz. I'm the founder and CEO of Advantage Strength in Ann Arbor, Michigan. At Advantage Strength, we help people between the ages of 35 and 65 to live more, play more, and feel strong so they can stay active with their family and friends and get back to doing the things that they love to do. I realized that in the intro of this show, I very rarely uh, introduce what the Fit Life Formula is. Uh, if you've been listening for a while, you know what it is, uh, but if this is your first episode or you're just getting into the show, I'll share that with you here. The formula is really simply three, two, one. It's three days a week of something that you love to do, something active, something that gets your heart rate up a little bit, um, something that you really, truly enjoy and can't wait to do, and then two days a week of strength training, and then one workout that really challenges you, that really, that really challenges you, that really pushes you. Uh, and what we usually say is one workout that just sucks to do. Um, so uh, the Fit Life Formula is a show for the members of Advantage Strength and anybody else who's interested in living a healthful life, uh, being strong, being active, and doing that for as long as they want to, um, well into old age. And so we're going to be tackling topics like fitness, nutrition, mindset, uh, training, anything like that that's going to help you keep moving, stay healthy, and live your best life. Today uh, is a special guest with us on the show, and this is uh, somebody that I've known, or, uh, two people that I've known for a long time, have been customers of theirs uh, for about four or five years now. And with us today, we have Tom and Vicki Zilke from Zilke Farmstand in Milan, Michigan. Uh, thank you two so much for, for joining me. Our pleasure. We're pleased to be here. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, I've, I've been a customer of yours for a long time, but it occurred to me when I was, I was actually at the farm stand the other day and it sort of hit me that we should be talking more um, because what you guys do is, is so special and it's, it's so important too. And I think there's a lot of people that maybe don't understand the importance or understand why the farm stand is, is such an important thing. Um, and also your new business uh, which is the Zilke Farm Kitchen, um, which we'll talk about in a little bit, as an extension of that and an easy way for people to access good, healthy, local food, uh, seasonal food as well. And I'll share my experience really quickly. Um, I was a part of a, a CSA early on. Like The first one that I joined was, it was another Milan CSA. And what that is, is uh, community-supported agriculture. So if you're unfamiliar with, with CSA, basically you buy in, you buy a share of uh, this farm's crops early in the season, and it helps support the farmers and it and it goes towards you know expenses that they have early on and then each week you get a box either delivered or you pick up a box from the farm with that week's worth of produce so it's very very local uh very very local and also it's very seasonal you have the things that are at peak freshness and uh, nothing's been picked or out of the ground you know for more than probably forty eight hours so um, I was a part of a CSA and I did like the idea that you get, you get the box, right? Cause it forces you to kind of try some things that you've never tried before. Um, you know, I have, I have like all of this kohlrabi and what do I do with that? You know? So you did, I had to do some exploring and, uh, thinking about what to, what to use that for. Um, but it, it is a good way to, to open your horizons. But then I found the, uh, Zilke farm stand. And so same sort of thing, you, you buy in early, but at the farm stand, you stop in and it's this cool little barn 
And um, they've got it stocked with produce. Some of it is theirs. Some of it is other local farmers uh, and other local products. And you go in and you basically shop um, for what you want and what you need. And so I really liked the idea of, of just being a little bit more flexible with their CSA. Um, and then the more I learned about the farm stand, the more interesting it got. And so Tom and Vicky are here to talk to us today about their story, why the farm stand is, is so important and why, um, and, and why what they're supporting is so important as well. And so I've talked enough here in the beginning, Tom and Vicky, I want, um, I would like to hear your story. It's, I think it's super interesting. This is a second career for you guys. Tell us about how you got started and, um, sort of what drove that change for you guys? Go ahead. <laughs> we just looked at each other and said, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. um, I think Tom should start because he's the original um, farm boy. You, you grew up on a farm. I grew up on a, <clears throat> excuse me. I grew up on a farm down in Deerfield, which is about 17 miles south and west of us here. And uh, always enjoyed agriculture. Uh, at about age 17, my dad announced to me and my twin brother that there was no future in farming, so get off the farm. Mm. So I went to Michigan State, got an education up there in landscape nursery management, uh, came out of there and, and uh, had a very successful landscaping business for about 20, 25 years. And uh, just got burned out on the collecting end of that and went to work with another fella. And in that time frame, I was only working about 40 hours a week and I'd been used to working almost double that. So we owned five acres in the house out in the country. I started putting some tomato plants in and some different things like that. Yeah, I would come and home from work and he'd, he'd have another 96 tomato plants. <laughs> so when you say some tomato plants, this is not recreational yeah, exactly. tomato so plants. Let me just put that in context. You know, okay. I, I put in a few tomato plants and I'd come home and, you know, we already had 300 planted and there'd be another, you know, two flats of 48. So another 96 <laughs> tomato plants. And so actually that's where um, I started to challenge him to say, um, yes, I appreciate your agricultural uh, skills. And yes, I appreciate um, having all of this wonderful food for our family, but I, I, we can't eat the amount of produce that's going to come out of 400 tomato plants, you know, time out, think about where this food is going to go. I'm not, you know, I don't want you to grow it just to put it into the trash. I want you to think about how you can use your skills to improve the lives of people around you. I'm a nurse. And so I come to um, the conversations thinking about healthy food and healthy communities and giving back mm -hmm. to communities. So, you know, my mindset is a little bit more on social structures and how we work together to make pro big problems into smaller problems. Um, so I challenged him to, to think about what he was going to do with all that produce that was growing like gangbusters in my backyard. <laughs> so I soon quit the other, the other job I was doing there. And, uh, and we started working together with growing hope in Ypsilanti and uh, reached out to them and soon became part of their market. And that went very well. We were able to sell what I had grown. And then the following year is when the farm stand opened up. It was a, some folks that we had gone to church with, the market had sat idle for quite a number of years. And uh, yeah, they reached out and they said, reached out. Do you want to the, reopen that little roadside farm stand? Is that yeah. what it was originally? Yeah. 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 Yeah, it sure was. Yep. That little, that little building that uh, is the farm stand was built specifically to be a 
roadside stand back in the 60s. Yeah, yeah, early sixties. Early sixties. Okay. Yeah, cool. And the family was a local Milan family that grew a lot of sweet corn, and they did a lot of truck farming. They took a lot of sweet corn down to the Eastern Market, and then seasonally would open up like we do here to sell, uh, you know, sweet corn and tomatoes and green beans and you know, yeah. kind of the things that Michigan grows really well. Yeah. And they aged out. They retired, and um, no one took it over, and. It's it, sat idle for probably five, I think 10, probably 10, 10 years. years yeah. 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 So we we were fortunate to have their great name brand. People had been used to years previously coming out there. So we piggybacked on that. That worked out real well. So yeah, as far as marketing. Yeah. So from that social uh, enterprise perspective, our community of Milan was thrilled to have that farm stand back open again. You know, we opened um, that first year. It was t- 2011. We opened in July, right at the peak of sweet corn and tomato season, and we stayed open right through the end of pumpkin season. You know, we closed at the end of October, and we were um, people were thrilled to be able to come out. And we, um, from their feedback, we grew what they wanted us uh, to sell. Um, if we didn't grow it, like for example, we don't grow any fruits um, because we many fruits are long-term commitments like an apple tree or a blueberry bush. Um, Vegetables, you put a seed in the ground and you get a a product that season. But fruits, for example, we don't grow. Um, So we worked with other farmers uh, across the state to source the volumes that our community seemed to purchase. So like, for example, we get 700 pounds of blueberries a week um, from Pawpaw and sell them out every week and then go get another 700 pounds of blueberries. Wow. yeah. And the initial farm stand there is about seven acres. And we worked at for a number of years and some property across the road became available. And we work about 25 acres of produce now, which is, as I tell people, a lot of weeds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I mean, I, yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's um, to see two interests come together like that to make something that that fulfills both of your interests and, and also, you know, is helping people at the same time. Um, I think is just so impressive. Talk a little bit about, you know, how you, how you diversified what you're diversified, like what you were selling, you know, was it just, there seems to be demand for this or was it, was it total projection? Uh, talk a little bit about how you got, how you decided what you were going to plant, how much of it you needed, uh, and all of that? Uh, the original business planning came from learning how to operate a CSA. Like you had introduced, uh, if we got the that upfront cash to purchase seeds and uh, pay for the labor to care for the, uh, the land as the stuff grew. Um, so we spent a fair amount of time early on kind of identifying uh, crop rotations and succession planting and uh, just the skills of farming, you know, that's, it's, it's gardening, um, plus a hundred thousand things more, you know, <laughs> you know, he grew up on a farm, so he knew tractor skills. He knew, um, he's got his degree in landscape management. So he knows nutrient management, um, soil biology. I'm a nurse. I know a lot about, um, healthy foods and, um, I also am a master gardener, so I know about growing, um, and I'm a mom, and so I know about uh, food and how to get kids to eat healthy food. So the, all of those various perspectives 
really clearly uh, pointed to, to um, that we kind of had all of the uh, skill sets covered between the two of us, that we could start at this uh, new farming business in our 40s um, and be successful at it. And of course, have been. We've been at it now, is this 11 years or 12 years? Just finished 11 year, years. Yeah, just finished year 11. So yeah. one of the things wow. I'll point out, well, so we early on tied in with Michigan State, uh, their extension as mm -hmm. well as their professors over yeah. there. And and they were so eager to come down and do trials at the farm. Mm -hmm. and, and every time they came down here, you're able to pick knowledge from them on new products that were new crops that we could be growing that would help the community out. Uh, one of the early ones that we talked about with them was sweet potatoes, yeah. which I was unfamiliar if you could grow them in this area or not. And they certainly assured us we could. And that's been a good crop for us through the years, on certain years. This year was a little tough. But. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's it really is a team effort, not just with you guys, but with you know, you're the, the people who support you have a whole support staff that you can go to for, for help. That's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and let's, we, um, I want to close the, I want to close the, the loop here because it didn't end with the farm stand. Uh, you, you went on to then, boy, I, I, I'd have to say maybe three years ago, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, opening the Zilke farm kitchen in, in town about, probably less than a mile away from your, right. from the farm stand. So talk right. about the farm kitchen, yeah. uh, the purpose and where that came from. Um, the kernel of that came from a nudge that we got from somebody at the state level saying, you guys are successful farmers. What, what's the next step for you? What, what can we collectively do to support you? And so I went to a pitch competition and I said, uh, one of the issues in uh, growing food in Michigan is that it starts in April and it's pretty much done by October. Um, but we tend to want to eat from October to April again, you know, those winter months. And most of us are used to the big industrial, you know, I can go to Meyer 365 days a year and get strawberries every single day of the year. But if we're going to try to support local and kind of look at that, what do we need to do to, to, to you know, allow Tom and Vicky's farm uh, to stay viable in those winter months. And for me, it was called processing. Um, what could I do with tomatoes at their peak of uh, ripeness uh, so that we could eat tomatoes year round? And so that was the original thought of um, thinking beyond just seeds to roadside stand sales. Um, and that conversation uh, ended up with actually what my community needed was not the next salsa, but my community was asking very specifically for help back to dinner every single day. What's for dinner tonight? How do I get my kids to eat this food? What do I do with this kohlrabi? What's a recipe for this kohlrabi? And so the business model evolved into creating a local version of a Blue Apron style meal kit preparation. And uh, so we opened in June of 2018. Um, my original model was to have a storefront where people could come in and shop, much like I was comfortable with coming folks coming into the farm stand to shop. Uh, and that was um, a good start, but it wasn't exactly the fit. It wasn't what folks were looking for. They didn't necessarily want to come and shop at another stand. They really just wanted ideas on meals. So I'm currently making a lot of meals for a lot of families in a subscription model. So people are... Um, I have a beautiful commercial kitchen. I make dinner every single week and deliver dinners out to families. Um, 
30 minute meals, we call them. Yeah. Yep. I'm sure you, Rachel Ray has probably trademarked that in some way, shape or form, but um, the idea is, is just awesome, you know? And, and I think that is one of the biggest hurdles is if you are unprepared for, for dinner, if you haven't kind of like, we, we always encourage part of the, part of your weekend should be sort of at least halfway mapping out your meals for the rest of the week. Thank um, you. That's a huge, yeah. <laughs> yes, that, that's a huge thing. You know, as a nurse, it's the same message I was having, you know, put a little bit of preparatory work so that you're not making really poor last minute decisions, you know, driving through McDonald's because the kids are hungry. Um, when you could have had, you know, a, a, a prepared healthy snack, even an apple in the car um, right. when the kids are hungry. Yeah. So, and I imagine there's a big education piece there too. Um, have you found that your, well, obviously your customers are going to know how to, how to implement this uh, subscription model that, that you're using. Have you found that there's like a, a learning curve there for people? It, was it hard to get you, your customers or people who eventually became your customers to understand the importance of having a ready made uh, take home and prepare meal or take home, take, what would you call it? Take and almost take and bake, but not exactly. Um, <laughs> um, finish. Yeah. Take talk and about take. that. Yeah. So our, our number one seller, are our meal kits. So I, for example, uh, create the recipe. I um, prepare the vegetables. So the carrot doesn't come to you needing to be peeled and chopped. I've peeled it and chopped it already. Um, and I've made the sauces, for example, if we're offering a stir fry, for example, the meat has been cut to the right sizes, it's been seasoned, it's packaged in another container, the vegetables are all washed and chopped and portioned. And then in a third container, um, there is uh, the sauce, a teriyaki sauce or a sweet garlic sauce or whatever the, you know, teriyaki, whatever the stir fry sauce is for that particular recipe. And then the instructions are there that start with these are the these are the this is the equipment you're going to need. You're going to need a, a fry pan or something that is like a wok um, and you're going to need some vegetable oil <laughs> and you're going to start by heating oil in your pan. You know, and so the instructions are just very simple. You do it in this order. And in 30 minutes, the dinner has come together and it's less about teaching people how to cook and more about helping them um, reduce those barriers to get to the people they want to be. And most of us want to be successful adults. We want to be sitting down at the dinner table. We want to be having conversations with our family. We want to be having the opportunity to share stories about our days. Um, as I tell people, uh, around the dinner table is where I learned to have an opinion and a voice. And uh, I did that in a very safe environment with parents who loved me. Um, and I learned that around the dinner table. There, there's so many things I learned around the dinner table. Um, and as a nurse, I want us to work really hard at raising families that can talk about difficult topics um, with compassion, with understanding and respect. Hmm. That's so interesting too. And, and we, we see this a lot in, in fitness is it's the start that stops most people. It's the, the paralyzing idea of I've got to make a whole meal what am I going to use? Should I use this or that? And there's so much misinformation out there about, about food, about um, what's healthy, what's not. Um, and so to have that decision made for you is a total green light. 
I know that. So if you're, if you're a a customer of the farm kitchen, you're going to say, I have this meal that I know is good for my family. And all I have to do is follow the instructions. Right. Um, And so that's such an important thing because there are a lot of people who don't have cooking skills. Um, They're, you know, maybe they've relied on um, frozen, frozen prepared meals or, um, you know, maybe it just wasn't something that was passed along or something that was done in their house. Um, but you know, to introduce cooking in that way and, and to, to kind of tee things up and, and make it an easily prepared meal that's also healthy. And that's also going to bring people to the dinner table is such an important thing. Thank you. <laughs> it does keep us going when the times are rough. We are, um, um, we're a mission based business. We have always felt that, um, we don't do this um, for the dollars. Uh, obviously, a business has to uh, be sustainable for the pe- for the people that work for it, for the planet that it uh, relies on, and for the the profits. You know, we can't do this for charity. Um, but it's not the it's not the only leg that we stand on. You know, our mission is to number one um, serve our community by creating um, uh, in. In this case, we offer, we create a lot of jobs in this community. We hire local people. Certainly at the farm stand, we often are um, hiring kids for their very first jobs. And in that, they're um, learning the lessons that are important to learn as a teenager at your first jobs, like showing up on time, by working hard, by enjoying the work that you're with. Um, I think one of the side benefits is that we have a phenomenal marriage and they get to see us being happily married, which includes how we negotiate differences of opinion. We do that out in front of people. And um, they are exposed to yet another uh, example of a healthy relationship. Mm. Um, They're given opportunities to um, work on things that they want to work on. Uh, if they're old enough, we even let them drive tractors. <laughs> <laughs> Which is always a landmark. Oh, when they, when such they a get landmark. To that, yeah. When they get to that stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, our mission is to, you know, uh, find a business that uh, allows us to be together, because that's an important part of our lives, um, that allows us to serve our community by giving good jobs and allows us to improve the health of our community, whether that's the economic health or the, or the physical nutrition health. Um, we're not out there selling French fries and cigarettes. Um, we are actually really doubling down on the fact that healthy food makes a difference and healthy food shared around a table um, is probably uh, the lever that's going to allow us to move forward as a community. Uh, well, and, and to continue with the community and, and sort of the economic health of the community too, um, you're not just hiring people, you're, you're patronizing other other farmers and you're helping other farmers out along the way. How does your relationship work with, you know, maybe you don't, you aren't growing something in this particular season, but another farmer is. Um, So talk about your relationship with other, uh, with other farms and, and how that support circle goes. Uh, Um, One of the best examples that comes to mind for me is when there are new and beginning farmers getting started and, figuring out their growing practices, it's not uncommon for them to have a glut of something. So they've grown a hundred heads of lettuce, but only 30 sold at their market. And they've got 70 heads of lettuce that need, you know, that need homes that need to be eaten. We have enough capacity and enough flexibility and systems in place for food safety um, that we can bring in product from other farmers 
um, and get an outlet for it. Exactly. And also meetings that occur, I'll get together with some local farmers, example, and there was a couple of young fellows that were starting off this winter and we reached one another as far as things that they would grow that we needed and, and vice versa. Right. They have a little bit of a stand. So we were certainly willing to help them out getting going also. The more good, healthy food that you can get into a community, obviously, the better off we're all going to be. But And then there's long-established farmers in the area. I've got a friend that's been farming for probably 45 years and grows large volumes of various crops. And we can always fall back on him if we run short on something. Obviously, some years, some crops do well, and other years, other ones do well, and you just never know until until the time at which you harvest. Yeah, yeah. that community of farmers is a, is a small one because not very many people are farming anymore compared to, you know, two decades, not two decades, two generations ago. Um, so if we don't have something, we can pretty much send a customer onto another uh, farm to reach that. Um, and uh, sometimes customers are looking for produce that's organic. We're not certified organic, even though we use organic practices. Um, but our folks are looking for certified organic products. We can send them to farmers that have hmm. uh, certified organic farms. Yeah. Touch on that a little bit. I think that's su- a super important point. Um, I would say if, if you go to the farmer's market, you know, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I would say 90 to 100% are using organic practices. Um, but that certification is, is expensive and sometimes out of reach for, for small, for small farmers. So talk about that. Like, what do you, what is an organic practice and what is the difference between using organic practices and being certified organic? Excuse me. me. The certified organic, we, we started off, we were abiding by the principles of being, certif- uh, being certified organic. We never went through because of the paperwork involved. And I guess that was the primary thing was probably the paperwork involved in, in certifying out. And we were more interested in people getting to know us as farmers and know our practices. So they could come to the farm anytime they wanted and see that we were not out there spraying, doing different things like that. Uh, as far as there are certain crops that are just really difficult to grow organically. Uh, the one that comes to mind is sweet corn. It's just extremely, mm-hmm. extremely hard to grow that way. Difficult to get. Uh, so, so organic practices, you know, in a nutshell means that you're not um, introducing any synthetic um, uh, products to the growing cycle, nor are you introducing any non-organic uh uh, pesticides or other treatments. Um, and because it's a, because organic is a big business and I, I don't mean to diss big ag because we do eat 365 days a year because of big ag. Um, uh, there, the list of approved, uh, applications gets longer and longer and longer every yes. year. Yes. So, um, for us, being certified organic was not what our customers were asking for. They were actually asking for a relationship with us. They were asking for access to healthy food grown locally. Um, and then none of that was the requirement for organic. Now, other farms, because they have different uh, customers, for example, not a personal relationship with, with a customer that might come to a farm stand, but instead have a customer like, for example, Whole Foods, 
uh, Whole Foods requires um, uh, certification. Generally, I mean, it <laughs> often will, yeah, often will require uh, organic certification, just as a baseline agreement that we all are speaking the same language. Um, and um, that works very well for some business models, but that doesn't fit our business model. Mm. So we, we just did not and have not done the actual certification. Um, however, doubling it back around on that, we have one earth and um, we know how to grow things and we don't use synthetic fertilizers, synthetic fertilizers or, because if, we, if we have a problem with the crop and it really looks like there's a heavy bug infestation, I've been known just to work that crop back under yeah, versus yeah. going out there and using some, you know, if the only, the only thing you can do is put a heavy chemical on it, but I'd rather wipe out that product yeah. than I would spray on that ground. Yeah. Mm. Um, well, and that leads me to kind of my next question is we've, We've heard that local eating and, and keeping things, keeping in with things that are seasonal and that are uh, coming to you from close to home is a healthier way to eat. Can you touch on, can you touch on that and maybe sort of the industrial food supply and what the difference might be between eating local and seasonal versus getting your strawberries at Meyer in February? Well, I'm going to answer the nurse first, and I would rather that a family um, buy those strawberries 365 days a year. Um, if it means that they are increasing the fruit and vegetable intake of their family, mm. um, the need for healthy food, um, is larger than the need for local food. And, um, I think I'm going to be pilloried for having said that, but, um, our, we need uh, good, healthy food and good, healthy food comes in a lot of forms, um, from a lot of places on a bit bigger picture. Go ahead. As as far as the taste, when you're <laughs> yeah yeah the sweet corn that's harvested yeah you got a frog in your throat so he's he's bringing up the concept of Excuse you know me. the flavor of those strawberries that are available in Meyer in February don't hold a candle to the strawberries that we pick that we grew and picked in June right um, and if families are organized enough that they can freeze those strawberries and have freezer space and bandwidth to thaw them and serve them in February, it'll taste just like a June berry. Mm. Um, so coming back around, yes, local food is very important. Um, and the flavor is better. The nutrients are better. The sweetness is better. Yeah, um, but on a broader perspective, the community is stronger. We have, um, we have jobs, we have businesses. Mm. I mean, it's, it's such a, Brian, it is such a complex thing. We can't cover it in 30 minutes. <laughs> I bet. I bet. But, but we often have people come into the farm stand and, and one of the questions they ask, when was the sweet corn picked mm -hmm. versus uh, because people can tell the difference yeah. on the sweetness of that corn yeah. if mm. it's that day. But it's you know, we go through a lot of sweet corn out there. Awful yeah. lot. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, I want to wrap up with one question. And, and usually when somebody says, what's your favorite season? The answer would be spring, <laughs> summer, fall, or winter. Um, but for you guys, it probably has something more to do with uh, what's growing or what you're picking at the time. So what is what is your favorite season at the farm stand? Mine personally is the fall. Two reasons there. Number one, I love the fall harvest, the, the sweet potatoes, the fall squash, stuff like that. And number two, I'm getting pretty tired by that time of year. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's nice to look forward to having a little time to rest a little bit. <laughs> 
And for me, my favorite time of year is when the tomatoes and the basil are in peak production. Um, fresh Michigan grown tomatoes um, are a joy to behold um, to the point that I don't even, I don't, I personally don't eat tomatoes from other States in the winter. Um, I can tomatoes and dry tomatoes and, you know, make tomato sauces and whatnot. And so I get my tomatoes in other form, but fresh sliced tomatoes with fresh basil. Oh, heaven. <laughs> well, and people can certainly come down to the farm stand and pick those up when they're in season um, as well as check out the kitchen. Uh, tell us what's the best way to either get to the farm stand or, or I guess I should say the farm stand is on Carpenter road um, down just, just North of, 23 in Milan. So it's uh, literally you get off of 23 at Carpenter road and head North a couple hundred yards and it's right there. Um, what's the best way that you guys are, it's closed up now, right? For the, for the season. Right. Right. So what's the best way to check out the kitchen or get in, get in touch with you guys and see what you're doing. Um, the number one way would be to follow us, um, uh, on our web pages, you know, right now, since we're sort of, um, closing the putting the season to bed. There is no place that you will run into us because we're buttoning up the farm stand for the year. So Facebook obviously would be one place. Good old social media. Follow us on Facebook, Zilkey Vegetable Farm and Zilkey Farm Kitchen. There's two pages, and then the two web pages, um, which don't get a lot of love, but um, I do try to keep them updated. And those are ZilkeyVegetableFarm.com and ZilkeyFarmKitchen.com. Uh, so that's probably the best way you can sign up for newsletters. Um, you can certainly uh, send us an email, zilkyvegetablefarm at gmail.com. <laughs> got, got a little theme going there. Got a monopoly um, on that one. Yeah, yep, yep, yeah. that one we've got. It made sense when I was starting the business, but man, I have typed that, that string of letters way times <laughs> in my life. <laughs> um, um, well, and so, you know, if you go and you take a look at that now, uh, you did mention that there's going to be a new online ordering platform for the for the kitchen that includes home delivery. Um, so, how what's the timeline on that? When should people expect that? Well, that's one of the things that um, is moving slowly because it's a little bit out of my uh, control. There's a lot of tech stack work happening in the back end, um, but uh, I hope to have things up well before the first of the year. We'll see. Uh, what COVID and what the fall brings us, but um, the existing online market uh, system is still working and people can take a look at that and try us out um, or they can uh, wait for the news that I'm going to have this newer, shinier, prettier one that's going to have more services attached to it. Very nice. Well, uh, that's about all I have. Any parting words for us as we, as we wrap up here? Uh, Nothing. uh, we should have, you should have asked that before we started. So we had something wide <laughs> to say. Um, I actually just, I want to thank you for yeah. uh, being the kind of person that understands uh, how complex uh, our community and our health is to understand that it, uh, that we can't do this alone. So I appreciate you being interested in our story and allowing us to have a little conversation with you about um, our efforts to make our little community a better place and to improve the health of, People one at a time, one meal at a time. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity to tell our story and appreciate your time. Uh, no, it's uh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, we're, we are kind of, I don't want to say fighting the same fight, but we are, 
we are encouraging a lot of the same things. And so it was a, it was a really natural, natural fit here. So um, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Vicki and Tom, thanks so much for, for jumping on with us. And uh, if you're listening again, reach out, check out Zilkey Farm Kitchen and uh, Zilkey Vegetable Farm. You guys won't be disappointed. So uh, until next time, be sure to follow the Fit Life formula. That's three days a week of something you love to do, two days a week of strength training, and one workout that just sucks. We'll talk to you next time.